Our sponsors, Bison Beer, have got you covered during lockdown. The lock-in beer package is the one to get you through. 12 big and juicy brews to keep everyone in business during these uncertain days, all of them brewed in Sussex. There's the likes of Unbarred and Burning Sky in there. There's free same-day local delivery all week as well. Just visit bisonbeer.co.uk to get your box. This is Football, the Albion and me with Richard Newman. Hello, welcome to Football, the Albion and three. I'm Richard Newman. This is the latest of our fortnightly panel shows and we've got quite a bit to talk about, haven't we? Joining me in this episode then is former Brighton midfielder Gary Dicker, now captain at Kilmarnock and the Athletics Albion reporter Andy Naylor. Thanks both of you. Um, Look, Gary, before we get cracking, just first to you. How's the season going in Scotland? From the outside, it's been a, a tricky campaign so far with, with Alex Dyer obviously leaving and, and Tommy Wright coming in. Yeah, it's been a tricky one, um, obviously for a number of reasons. We've obviously we suffered with injuries, probably loss of form uh, to key players probably at the wrong time and obviously a change of manager as well. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, we've probably underachieved massively. Um, but... You are where you are in the league for a reason. Um, still got a good few games to go, so it's in our hands, as they say. So just need to get going on Saturday. We've got a massive game against Ross County on Saturday, mm. which is a six-pointer, as they say. Yeah, that's a really big one. Um, because you drew with Dundee United at the weekend, didn't you? So that ended a run of um, eight games. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. tough run to go through, I'm sure. Was that, do you sort of look at that as a, as a turning point then? Strange thing as well, which doesn't mean we've actually been doing all right in the games, and that's when it's probably more worrying. And I know when you look at Brighton, people are probably saying the opposite: they're playing well and they're not, and they're not winning. But um, now we've been actually playing quite well in the games and just giving away sloppy goals. And if you're not scoring at the other end, you've got to make sure the door shut at the back, uh, which it hasn't been as a team. Um, so there's been many reasons. Obviously, it's been a strange season anyway. I think everyone can can say that but that's not an excuse to be honest with you I think uh, it's what matters on the pitch and we still have time but you can't keep saying next week next week as a player um, we've got to go out and, and get the three points on Saturday I hope you can turn it around there um, there's going to be a few parallels to talk about then I think in terms of playing well and not getting the points that you need and conceding a few goals that you shouldn't do and not taking a chance at the other end um that's basically going to be this podcast today um so let's start with the west Brom game shall we um let's not talk about the we'll do the free kick in a minute just in terms of the result andy it, it's not a good one isn't it because we, we go back a few weeks and you know brighton fans on a high really good run of wins and points and Great unbeaten run in the last few matches. I mean, a bit deflating. Fulham are playing well, and now everyone's starting to be a bit concerned again. Yeah, well, you've got that that combination, haven't you? When they went to Anfield and won, I looked back at the table, one one nil at Liverpool. They were ten points clear at that stage of the relegation zone, and I think everyone was thinking, you know, they had that six match unbeaten run, didn't they? One at Leeds, one nil, beat Spurs, one nil, and it looked like they were pretty much going to be out of it. And, uh, of course, since then, they haven't won. At the same time, Fulham have improved, got some good results, and it's just squeezed right back up again. Mm. Um, so, 
Right, the free kick. Um, ruled out, given, ruled out again. I'm conscious here that we need to be careful in terms of direct criticism yeah. of Lee Mason and his, um, just himself, like to just talk about yeah. his performance and, and, and what happened there, given the yeah. disgusting abuse Mike Dean got on social media recently. Yeah. And also there was quite a bit of unsavory stuff about Lee Mason on Saturday evening as well. Um, but yeah. calling it as it is, that situation... Gary, what were your thoughts on it? It was an it was just a bit of a mess. Uh, I think it's a massive frustration. I think in the game, I think they're trying to speed up the game. All you hear is, oh, obviously the new substitution rule. You got to go off the pitch if you're closer to that side. But it is a strange thing with free kicks. I don't know whether they want a breather or whether they want to slow the game down or they might be booking somebody. But I think somebody said it. You're actually getting a disadvantage now by getting a free kick and wanting to take it quick. I had one on Saturday, ref had booking someone, I was like, can I take it, can I take it? He's like, no, 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 no. But you're letting everybody else get set. There's no real advantage to it. And as you can see, Donkey asked him, can I take the free kick? He says, yeah, changes his mind halfway through it, the ball's hitting the net. So it's obviously not, it's not just one referee. I think it's the game itself. I think obviously emotions are riding. You've got, you've got a lot depending on it as a player, as a club. Uh, this isn't a criticism of referees, but they can go home and it can be forgotten about. Brighton might get relegated over that. And I know everyone's saying, oh, they'll have 37 other games or a player plays bad. Yeah, if a player's bad, he's out of the team the next week. Where a ref, and I'm not saying they should be crucified, but I think they should be probably rated more so on their performance and what they're doing. And if it is mean, yeah, maybe might take a step down to the championship for three weeks and and be assessed a little bit more. And then no matter if you're experienced or not, you can you can make mistakes. I get that. Everyone makes mistakes. But um, I think Donkey's saying, obviously being accountable, he doesn't mean come on here and everybody's slaughter him or everyone's having a witch hunt. Well, it happens as a player, but hmm. I think they've got to have something that's kind of affecting them because you'll see after the game, we had a game a few weeks ago and the ref got a decision wrong. He said, oh, I got it wrong. But, it's too late sometimes you're thinking, well, you're not really affected. We're affected. We've lost a game or it might be you giving away a decision. So you can see the frustrations, but obviously for the stuff that come after that, the abuse, and I think it's ridiculous. I think it's too easy. I think Andy will agree. It's too easy to go on Twitter or Instagram and send a message to someone and abuse them about anything and everything. Um, there's no need for that, but I can understand the frustration from Donkey 100%. Mm. I mean, anything that he was saying, Lewis Dunk, that is, after the game, I mean, it's kind of seemed completely fair, really, as well, because I don't think any of us really got to the bottom of what actually happened. What's your take on it, Andy? Because it seems like, yeah, like he said, can I take it? Lee Mason said, yes, the goal, the ball's gone in the back of the net. But if it goes out for a corner or something, does it just carry on? I mean, the the fact they went in isn't really a. <laughs> that's not. No. That's not. That's not the referee's fault if whether Sam Johnson is ready in his goal or not. Like Gary was saying, it's not not a, giving an advantage to the team that's being penalised in the first place. No, absolutely. And but I think where obviously where it started to go wrong, it, it was the second whistle, wasn't it? Because until then everything's fine. Donkey's asked, "Can I take it?" Yes, he's blown his whistle. And I think what happened. Lee Mason, <laughs> I can't speak for Lee Mason, but it's almost as if he panicked a bit and thought, oh, 
the keeper's not ready. Oh, look, he's on the other side of the goal and blew again. So that that's kind of the point of where where it went all horribly wrong, really. Yeah, yeah and but that... then, and then just sort of snowballs from there, doesn't it? Is it, is it given, not given? Um, and it just became a mess. And I can totally understand, as, as Gary said, Lewis's frustration. I think we should also remember the point at which Lewis is being interviewed there. That's not that mm. long, I know, because they, they come to us afterwards, the managers on Zoom. It's a bit more, bit more time. But, you know, that's not long after the game, really. Pitch side, emotions are still running high. So um, that's I think fans like to see that. I think yeah. that's a good point. I think people cry out for that to say, and all footballers, myself, and you give interviews, oh, everyone says the same. But then the minute you say something different, say something. Yeah. the FA are on you, someone else is on you, and you're not going to give your opinion then because you're thinking, well, I'll have to step on an eggshell here if I say something wrong. And then you do show the emotion. It's a bit like, oh, he's waiting then to hear if the FA are going to come from and saying, oh, you can't be saying this. So, um. It's just a strange one, yeah. I think if the free kick had been anywhere on the pitch and he blew the whistle quick and then he blew it again, he'd have just played on. I think the fact the ball went into goal, as you said, he panicked. I think if it was anywhere else on the pitch, he'd have just played on. And that's the I frustrating think the other thing. Is it, it, it comes back to the probably the, the real um, nightmare for everybody that, that everyone complains about. It's the inconsistency, isn't it? Because I, straight away, my first, my first thought with that was, Lewis Dunk did this at Anfield last season. Martin Atkinson was the ref. Very similar situation. And scored. And, and, but then and the it goal, goes to VAR. The goal was given. You know, so, 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 ironically, the same player involved. So he's probably looking at that and thinking, well, here but, we are. And it's a t- t- totally different. So we say, are we in agreement that the second whistle's blown because he doesn't think the ref, the goalkeeper's in position? And, if that is the case, well, that's not his. Respons- that's not Lee Mason's responsibility, is it? No, but I can't see what. I, I, I mean, otherwise, what else has he blown? I, I, I don't. I, I have no idea what else he's blown for the second time. So, with um, that in mind, like if the, the debate then is, did the ball, did the whistle go before the ball crossed the line? That's not really. That's not what the VAR should be looking at, is it? It is that I. I that I don't know the rules of the game well enough to the, to know whether this is yeah. the case but is there anything in the rules of the game to say referee must check with goalkeeper that he's ready and set to take the free kick if the referee's already said yes that's no, not that's not, not in the rules is it yeah it's only if he tells you so if you're on the pitch and you say can i take the free kick as you've seen before um some people get booked for a quick free kick because the ref has told you to wait to wait but mm. i don't really get that because we had meetings in the summer with the referees up here and uh, there was an incident where I think, say, if somebody gets wiped out and it's a red card, but you take a quick free kick and then you score from it, their their tackle then becomes a yellow because the game has been played on. The ref hasn't stopped the game, so they're trying to encourage it. But then I don't get when you get a free kick, as you say, and you want to take a quick free kick. Why can't he? You can book him after it. You don't have to constantly delay it. So say if Donkey got the ball as he did and said, "I want to take a quick," I know that that wasn't a booking, but I just think he's panicked, as Andy said. I think the fact that he's seen the ball go into the goal, maybe he thought it was a quick free kick and he maybe tried to pass it or he tried a quick one where he's just clipping it or slipping it down on the side of the water. So I think the fact that the ball's gone towards the goal, he's just had the panic up and just thought, I'm blowing the whistle again here. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's really thought about 
the aftermath of what's going on. I think it's just panic, and it is a mistake. But then I don't understand VAR's point in football anymore because nine times out of ten, they just back the official usually, or they agree with them, or I don't know. It's still they still can't get it right with it or wrong. Nine times out of ten, for me, it's still wrong when they when they use it or the offside. It's for me, it's I don't know incidents like that and then when it's gone to the VAR it's even more frustrating as a player when you're running over looking at a screen and people are people are then even trying to influence the referee when they're running over to a screen you've got benches uh, the screen should be nowhere near anyone then I don't think it should be near a bench it should be the opposite side um, so there's a lot to be talked about but <laughs> I just think he had made a mistake but sometimes it is nice as well because as a player you do get thrown out in front of the media if it's your man that you've lost that corner or you've given away a penalty or you've given away a goal and you've got a face up to it sometimes and go out and take the rap. Um, so I think you can see Donkey's frustration there saying, well, no one's ever accountable for anything wrong. And as a player, you are because you're always in the firing line. Just finally on this then, um, because we all share different frustrations about this, clearly. And um, uh, I, I wonder what your thoughts are about... Chris Sutton's comments. One of the he's one of the people that said that maybe VARs should be should be we should be able to hear what they're saying because we're all guessing what the situation what happened on Saturday. Still, we're recording this three days later. Um, so, what are your thoughts? Do you think we should hear like we do in rugby and cricket? Should we should we hear the refs? Well, I was going to say they're a lot more open, aren't they, in in in, in those other sports, but. Um... I'm not sure that it would make that much difference to the final outcome sometimes. <laughs> it, would, it would help though, wouldn't it? It would help us to understand yeah, like, yeah, why. The understanding. Yeah, this is the yeah, one where I, we just, don't, we just yeah. don't understand what happened. Yeah. But I still suspect <laughs> even after that, we'd have people thinking. I think they'll just say what they usually say is, oh, we're going with the rules. He blew the whistle again before the ball hit the net, so it's no goal. That's that's the answer that you get off a referee because they'll just use. But that's where, for me, sometimes football lets itself down. Why not have a player, in, an ex-player, in there and thinking, as Andy said, that's good play. He's done that before. He's trying to do something different. It's not always, oh yeah, boy, the rules. It is, but that's just covering up the mistake he's made by blowing the whistle again. Where. He's covering himself by basically saying, oh, well, I blew the whistle again, so it's no goal. Where the goal's perfectly fine. Mm. So Gary's just, you just can... touched on something there, actually, which I find really frustrating. I'm sorry, sorry to carry on about this free kicks. I know there's <laughs> other stuff. But I'm going back a long time. My dad was a referee way back. My dad's 80 now. He packed up when he refereed England schoolboys against Wales schoolboys. Uh, because at that stage... He couldn't progress any further. There was an age limit. So they basically, he'd gone through all the, the, the different groups, got to that stage, and he couldn't go on any further. So he just packed up. Now, I'm pretty sure it's different now, but one of the things I'd definitely like to see, and perhaps Gary could say on this, why don't we have more ex-players refereeing? I think the PFA did try it. They sent out an email, I'm sure it was about three or four years ago, asking ex-players um, that they want to take part in the course and then, I think it just kind of, it just kind of died off, and there was nothing else really heard about it. Um, but I think, I think it's understanding the game. There's understanding the rule. 
That's exactly what I mean, Gary. That's exactly the reason that obviously I can probably maybe it's because they think, blimey, why would you why would you want to do well, that? That's it, yeah. All you get is abuse. But it's that understanding that that, that, that that I think the players would have sometimes that that the referees perhaps don't. Should they be then yeah. instead? Because I guess the referees would would uh, players know full well the abuse that they'd end up getting and they would already be a higher profile referee because they everyone would know they're a former footballer mm-hmm. would actually be a, make more sense then to actually find the, the is the is the medium be- between that maybe gary that they they would be in the var they'd be at stotley yeah, park I instead think, i think being a var obviously it's a it's a highly skilled job as well don't uh don't get yourself on. I've tried to ref and training a few times and it is difficult or you give a decision. So, um, But I think with incidents like that and you have VAR and you have the chance to look at a back, I'm telling you now, you asked any ex-player that was in that VAR that was watching it, he'd just say goal, no matter what, unless he was a goalkeeper. <laughs> um, for me, it's a goal. It's common sense. It's good play. Um but as I said, if you're to interview the ref after the game, all he's going to come out with, or any ex-ref that are interviewed on Sky or any other thing, they're going to say, oh, well, he blew the whistle again, so it's no goal. He's got a decision to change it where common sense, you're saying he's made a mistake, he's panicked and done that. Um, so I think it should. I think technology now, I think, and it's having a different eyes on something as a player because you do see it different as a player than as a referee, definitely, as Andy said. Let's move on. Um, because yes, Brighton probably should have a, had a goal uh, from that free kick, but they again missed plenty of opportunities to uh, put the ball in the back of the net, and no uh, less <laughs> so than um, two penalties, which hit the woodwork twice. Um, what are your thoughts here, then, guys? Because um, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't just the penalties; there were some sitters that were missed as well. It's uh, it's. Well, obviously, it's a, it's a regular theme. Is it just a confidence thing? What are your thoughts on, on what happened at the weekend besides that free kick? Over to you, Gary. <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's a difficult one. Listen, everyone can point the finger. I think, obviously, having a penalty taker, we struggled when I was there at Brighton. I'm sure Andy can remember. We went through a stage where... I'm sure I missed one. Muzza, Barnes, he had a few. And then we had uh, David Lopez who came in and started taking them. Um, and it is, it's like, it's a special skill set. Um, and it's one that probably, probably goes under the radar a lot. And you probably don't see a lot of people working on it. Seriously. I know it's quite hard to work on it, obviously, because the stress of the game, the pressure. Um, but I'll always think back, I think we had Chris Boyd here, here was a was a striker and I remember we were, I'm sure we were 4-1 up in a game and one of the lads was on two goals already uh, striker, Boyd he hadn't scored and we got a penalty uh, and people were moaning saying oh let him take it, let him take it he's getting his hat-trick uh, and Boyd he just walked in after the dressing room and was like no chance he said if I had been nil all do you think he'd have been asking me for the penalty? No chance said just because it's 4-1 so I think when you see that it is a certain mindset and skill set and you shouldn't anyone anyone can take a penalty anyone can miss a penalty but um, it just comes down to the individual and probably working on it um, yeah, as you can see they've missed two in a game which is quite 
quite rare and and it has cost them uh, a lot. So I think chopping and changing for me, I don't think it works. I think you end up going around the team and people are putting their hands up. They probably don't really want to take a pen and they're thinking, what's oh, the chance of getting a goal? I think I think even Muzzer missed a good few when I was there uh, and then he scored a few. So I think you've just got to pick one and stick with him, to be honest with you. Um, I know Gross has scored a few and he's missed a few, but he's technically quite good. He strikes the ball well and that's probably the worst. He struck a ball <laughs> when he hit the bar. He's usually quite clean, striking the ball. So I think it happens when you're in there on the bottom. You need a bit of luck, but I think chopping and changing, uh, I don't think that's the answer. I've taken penalties, um, to be honest. Yeah, do, do you think it's actually um, then better for maybe the most technically gifted players to um, be taking the penalties rather than necessarily default to the striker? You look at maybe in a Brighton team, it, it feels like the most, the people that should be taking those penalties for just for me is Pascal Gross, is Alexis McAllister and Adam Lalana. They just seem like the ones who would probably handle that situation best. And I know McAllister is very proficient on set pieces himself, isn't he coming from Argentina? But Lalana was a, I, I honestly expected Lalana to step up and take that penalty, the second one. Um, and I was almost surprised they didn't. I don't know what you think, Andy. Well, I was, and I, and I wrote about this, I was a little bit surprised that it was Danny, Danny Welbeck for the second one, you know, um, just, just for a variety of reasons, really. I, I appreciate he's a forward, um, but um, he hasn't had a lot of football, has he, uh, sort of this year, really. He was on the bench, he'd not been in the game for long. And if you look, I mean, Danny's had a long and distinguished career, obviously at Manchester United, Arsenal, etc., He'd only ever taken two penalties in his whole career. He'd actually scored them both, so he had a two-out-of-two record. But maybe that says to you, you know, that, and of course, he had a lot of top-class competition at the other clubs he's been at, so we should point that out. But it it didn't strike me as, as a sort of natural choice in that situation. I can understand why Pascal wouldn't have wanted to take the second one in the same game you know, because where do you go from there if the, the second one goes wrong? But I think going forward, yeah, we're in this situation because it was Neil, Mil- Neil Mopé and Neil had missed two, three. Uh, he missed in the shootout at Newport. Pascal had scored seven out of eight penalties in his career before the one at West Brom. So he's still got a pretty, mm. pretty good uh, conversion rate. So, yeah, I think, you know, if they got another one against Leicester at home, Pascal takes it for me. It's a different game, different, different scenario. He's got a good record, as, as Gary pointed out. Usually he's technically very um, proficient. I had to check, actually, when I was writing, because there's, this, there's always this criticism. Commentators, they say they don't like the stuttering in the run-up, do they? But that's playing Pascal's technique when he's, when he's scored with them. So there was nothing different about that at West Brom yeah. when he started in his, his run-up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and um, just about the finishing. Then um, we can, we we can talk about this over and over and over and over again. And have done all all season. Um, just because you're on Gary, it'd be just good to get your thoughts on where you think um, Aaron Connolly uh, is at in his career at the moment. I work for um, when I do reports at the games a lot. I um, I do quite a bit for RTE as well. Clearly, at the beginning of last season. And well, maybe the, after the Tottenham game last season, where he scored those two goals, and the beginning of this season, they're very excited about him, and he had a bit of a run in the 
he's had a bit of a run in the national team as well, hasn't he? As a striker, there aren't yeah. many options for Ireland at the moment um, up front, really. And he is a you know what looks like a talented young striker. Where do you think he is at his development? Um, do you think it's almost like too much pressure on him for a young player of that kind of inexperience, especially with not many, you know, when goals aren't going in and you're so inexperienced, is that not really the situation you want to be in? Oh yeah, obviously, listen, he broke onto the scene and I remember even watching the game myself when he scored the two goals and everyone's hoping and wishing that you're going to break in and score 20 odd goals a season, but he's probably ahead of his development to be honest with you, um, probably people at Brighton probably didn't expect him to go in and, and do quite well. And um, Obviously, the pressure comes, then people are expecting you to score. And it's probably, it's just a bump in the road that you're going to get as your career. Obviously, you get it, you might get it a little bit more because you're a striker early on and he's in that stage where people are looking at every chance he's, he's not scoring. Um, but for me, it's, it's part of the job. Listen, it's it's the hardest job in football. Um, it's why they get paid the most. Um, it's why they're the most selfish people on the pitch. Um, and for me, it's a spell that you're going through. But he has his, he brings energy to the team. I like him when he's in the team. He's always a threat, and he's getting in positions and getting chances. And sometimes that comes. Uh, he's probably a young player, which probably relies on confidence and getting a goal here and there. So I think it's like anything. If you if you get a chance, you'll probably score a terrible goal and they'll hit him in the backside, as they say, or he bundle one in. And sometimes that can just give you a lift and, and give the team a lift. But for me, um, no, I think he's done really well when he's come into Brighton. Obviously, the pressure's on. They're not scoring as a team. And he's a young lad. He's, he's, come, up, he's come up through the younger ages with the club and the pressure's on him. But um, for me, it's... It's part of football. You've, you're going to get your highs and your lows, obviously, and he's in the spotlight even more so now because I'm not scoring. And I know he had a good chance at the weekend when he's knocked it over the bar. But as I said, if, if they weren't creating chances or they weren't getting in the positions, or that's when, as a player and as a group, that's when you think of, you know, when you come off a pitch, I think, I don't know how we're going to score a goal. We're not creating. The thing is, they are creating chances. And I know it is frustrating. You're saying, oh, we've come in, we should have got something. I think the Palace game summed it up. I think every time they've played Palace, they've absolutely battered them. And it's just one of them games you're thinking, oh, if they get, down, they get one chance and they score. So um, no, there's a lot to be positive about. And I think just a stage in your career where you've got a ride through. I know he's had issues probably with people on social media. I think he's come off social media and stuff like that. So mm. it's a hard learning curve now. Um, you used to be able to go home and s- switch off and used to be able to suffer suffer at home with your family or someone from your family maybe saying something to you that you're thinking, why are you saying that to me for? <laughs> your, your missus saying, don't be asking them questions, kind of, where now you can't really escape it. You've probably got people people telling you what someone else is writing about you on Twitter or someone else is doing something about you. So, um, no, it's tough. And I think the character he is, he's a, he's a competent lad. I don't know him personally, but you can see that, yeah, he will bounce back and... Hopefully, he is amongst the goals. So, we've talked a lot. Sorry, go on, Andy. No, I was going to say just a couple of things with Aaron, which I think are quite interesting. And Gary referred to there, hmm. you know, that was his full league debut against Spurs that day. Yeah. So, he set the bar so high to begin with. And, and I think, you know, immediately, if, if you say to people, 
not even Brighton fans, Aaron Connolly. That's probably the first thing they remember. He's oh yeah, he's, he scored those two goals against Spurs. So that that's kind of set a level that everything that happened subsequently he was perhaps going to be measured against, which of course is totally unrealistic. You know his age and level of ex- experience and so on. So um, and he hasn't really had a run in the side. And the other thing I think where possibly he would have benefited from. He went on loan to Luton. I don't know if you remember that. He, yeah. But he was injured. And he, he, he didn't actually... He barely played at all. And then he's progressed and obviously he's jumped and he's straight in the, the Premier League then. So he's gone from... He's really gone from being an under-23s player straight to the Premier League. That is one hell of a leap for a young, for a young striker. You know, and he hasn't had that that step in between, if you like, when you look at so many of the other, look at the other Brighton players, most of them, nearly all of them. Uh, ben White is the classic example, isn't oh, he? He's yeah, gone yeah. from League Two on loan, League One on Championship, now Premier League. Robert Sanchez had loans. Stephen Alzati was actually signed by Brighton and, and then went out on loan. He was signed from Orient and then went out on loan to Swindon. Oh, Aaron yeah. hasn't had that. So um, I think that's that, that probably worth bearing in mind as well. I think if you look at his age and you look at the age of all the other strikers in the league, there's not many. There's not many. Obviously, you've got your Fultons and you've got obviously your special talents like that, but there's not a lot of his age that are playing week in, week out in the Premier League and scoring. Um, there's been a hell of a lot more strikers bought for a lot more money. I think you look at West Ham, big holiday signed. I can't remember what they paid for him 20 or 30 million. And, he didn't score a goal. I don't think he scored one or two. So, as you said, the bar has been set so high, but he's learning on the job, which sometimes is the best thing and the worst thing, as you say, because you're getting judged straight away on what you've done. And he's probably not experienced that, as you say, when you go on loan. Um, and we've got a few lads on loan from Premier League clubs here. And it can be a shock. People screaming on your neck if you make a mistake as they're costing a win bonus or they're costing three points. And, and it, it is part of growing up, as I said, and he's at that stage where you are and you're learning about yourself and you're learning how to deal with stuff and it's all new to him. So um, for me, he's probably progressed too quick and then having that limelight, as you said, a scoring on his debut, the two goals, and they were brilliant goals as well. It's not as if they were your bang average tap-in. So I think he's probably been a victim of his own success too early and the standard he set. So... I think he's, he's going to be a good player for Brighton. Do you think almost like, it, it, you know, depending on how the rest of the season goes, would it be a completely ridiculous decision, um, thing to suggest that maybe he would spend half a season on loan somewhere, a championship club, where he could just play for like, I don't know, yeah, half a season and come back? Would that be something that's not, would that be a possibility, do you think? Or would that be too much of a step back at this stage, having played so much in and out of the team? Well, obviously, it probably depends what, what, what happens in the summer and, 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 and where they go from there. But if you look at it as well, Aaron has been in and out of the side. He hasn't really had a sustained run? run of games. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's had one or two injury issues, hasn't he, that have kept him out at time. And, yeah, that's all part of the confidence thing. Again, I, th- I think if you, if you look at what's quite interesting, one of Neil Mopay's chances at West Brom when Pascal pulled the ball back first half, you look at Aaron's, it just looked like they snatched at things. And they're only human because they know the narrative is out there mm. that this Brighton team is actually really good, but don't take their chances. They're hearing that 
as well. Mm. And then the pressure builds. So, um, yeah, you know, there's, yeah, there's, there's several routes they could go with Aaron from here, really. But um, yeah. I don't think we should be. Of course, he should have scored it. No, no, he doesn't need telling that he should have stuck that chance away at West Brom, does he? Nobody will know that better than him. Um, so he talks about silver bullets. Um, there's something that Graham Potter mentions a few times, but um, what about Florin Andone? <laughs> what do we think about him then? So not exactly prolific, but knows where the goal is. We thought that his Albion career was over. We've seen pictures of him back in training. Because of what's happened over the last few matches, can Graham Potter, Andy, afford to overlook him? Um. It's a tricky one, isn't it, with Florin? Because what what we I think we've got to bear in mind. I mean, if, like, like you said, if you go back to the Southampton game, that I think that was only Graham's third game in charge when Florin got sent off in the first half, and then of course he went out on loan to Galatasaray. As you say, to all intents and purposes, it looked like his 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 Brighton career is over. And unfortunately, while on loan at Galatasaray, he's had two really serious knee injuries. Not one, two. You know, so he's only just coming back from that now. Yes, he's back in training, but he's been out for a long time. The last time he played for Galatasaray was June. You know, so what version of Florin Andoni are we going to get? And and I always point to the fact, I think I've said this before on here, fans only see the games. They only see the players in the games. They don't see what's going on in training um, day, on a daily basis. You know, and obviously that's gonna that plays a part in the team that Graham Potter then selects for the game. Um, so I don't know what 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 level he's at in terms of sharpness, you know, um, for being ready uh, to to play in the Premier League. Uh, as I say, he's been out a long time, but maybe you're getting to the stage where certainly, I mean, there's nine subs, isn't there? If 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 he's if you're at a stage now where you know he is he is fit enough. You'd probably have him, maybe on the bench at least, as as, as a possible option. It's um interesting one though, isn't it? Because we can only speculate, as you say, Andy. We, can, we only watch what's on the on the pitch. Um, but he actually started the season. He started his, you know, under Graham Potter really well, coming on against Watford and scoring, and then just a couple of games later, he gets sent off and he's gone. Just you know, a moment of sort of a you know rash, silly tackle that he made but clearly there, there, there may have been other things in training obviously where Graham Potter sanctioned that move that move to Galatasaray and thought I don't yeah I don't need him here right now it's not what I need but you wonder whether now that Graham Potter's settled in Andane must have changed something if he's going to get if he does end up getting a chance um Gary I'm wondering whether um because we can't we can only speculate so far on all that but I'm wondering whether there are situations that you've been in dressing rooms in the past where a player is looks really out of favour under their manager, and then they do manage to turn them around and, and they get back in contention again. Where it looks like they're pretty much not never going to be selected by that manager again. Yeah, there is. Um, you're always a better player when you're not in the team and the team is not winning. I think that's a fact. Uh, you ask any footballer that or anyone who's thinking fans will definitely cling on to the fact and then think, oh yeah. But I think as Andy says. It's probably not just to do with one certain thing, but if you've nine subs and he is applying himself well in training, um, 
because that's what bugbear about me. Only as I've got old and obviously going to the coach and you hear people all saying, oh, I've never been, I've never got a chance. I never, you get a chance Monday to Friday every week. Mm. You might get five minutes on a Saturday. You might get 10 minutes. You're still getting a chance. Um, so that whole, I, he was never given a chance. You don't know what's going on in that big block from Monday to Friday. I've seen all sorts of seeing people not throwing a leg, people not caring, people accepting they're not playing, not pushing, not pushing the other boys. And maybe that's probably been the case, probably only having the two or three strikers and not having competition in the squad that is pushing players and knowing you that if you don't score, you mightn't be involved. So maybe pulling them in and sticking them on the bench and might give everyone else a little kick up the backside and stuff like that. But um I think obviously he's not played in a long time. He's been injured as well when he went away. So there's a lot there's a lot to think about, but I think having a nine subs now is a big difference. And if you do want an extra attacking body on the bench, maybe in a in a home game first coming up, obviously probably different in away games, you might be trying to structure up different. So mm. it is an option. Yeah, they're paying him. And if he is doing the business and training and wanting to be there and help the team, well, there's no reason why. He can have some sort of impact depending on his fitness levels. Um, let's start looking ahead a little bit. Um, if Albion keep playing like this, do you think there's much of a reason for opposition teams to be worried about playing them? Um, by that, I mean, obviously, this is it. We're coming off the back of a couple of bad results having just gone on a really good run um everyone knows that brighton can play really good football and when it clicks it can it can work really well but when, even when it does click like it did against crystal palace in that second half um the ball still doesn't go in the back of the net so gary actually again sorry just 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 from your point of view as well when you know that a team is not taking their chances that they can be playing very well but they're not taking their chances and the pressure is on them do you, would you go into that as the opposition player, knowing you you may actually have a few more opportunities? There's not as much to be afraid of of them. Um, I don't think so. I think if obviously you're West Brom and you're after watching the game against Palace, you're not going to the game thinking, "Oh, they aren't taking their chances." They played really well that night. They've been playing some good football, and they are a tough team to play against. How they keep the ball how they want to play. They can flip shape, which they do an awful lot during games as well. And they are quite attacking. So I think it's it's like anything in football. I think everybody gets so obsessed with thinking, oh, teams are figuring us out. We've no plan B. We've no this or that. Put it this way. I'd rather watch, there's no disrespect to West Brom, I'd rather watch Brighton and West Brom every week and seeing they've got a structure. They've seen they've got a way of playing to see the way they're getting young players into the team uh, or gaining experience every week. And and that will come. And they will get a games where they probably won't take chances. But um, for me, I think, obviously, they want to stay in the Premier League and it's all about getting points now. It's not about playing well. But as a player, if you're playing well and you're just not getting the rub of the green, I think... It doesn't drain confidence from yeah. As I said, when you're coming in off the pitch and you're thinking, "Oh my God, we've had one shot on target today, or we've had one corner, or we're not, we're not, we just don't look like scoring ever." I don't think that's the case with Brighton. So, I think inside there, I think they'll be encouraged and they will take confidence from it. Obviously, they've lost two where they probably should have won both of the game. So, um, that can be difficult. And I think as a group, 
they will regroup and uh, I don't think they'll be in panic mode thinking, oh, teams are sussed us out. Um, I don't think they'll be that that too worried. I think the manager spoke even after the Palace game and sometimes you, you do come in and you say, well, there's not a lot I can say. We've lost the game by two, by two actions that we've probably done better, but I can't... I can't scream and shout and ball at you for not doing the right things because for 98, 90-odd 90 percent of the game, you did do the right thing. So um, I think everything's magnified and blowing up now. Obviously, there's, as you said, we're talking about this. There's media talking, other media on Sky. Stats are coming everywhere. you got data from everything. Um, so, um, no, it is difficult, but I think in that dressing room, they'll be confident with how they're playing and the players they've got in there. Mm-hmm. Brighton do need to start winning again um, be- because otherwise they are going to get sucked into it more um, Fulham are playing pretty well at the moment Newcastle have this you know they every time I watch them and again I don't want to be too critical of them but with respect to the fact that the job they, they're doing there but I, I can't it's not a team I can watch easily Newcastle but they do have this habit of just bring, just finding a result from somewhere out of absolutely nothing Um Brighton need to start winning. Next game is against Leicester. And actually, the last game, the FA Cup match, obviously another heartbreaking way to lose and the final kick of the game, basically, in the FA Cup. And it wasn't the full-strength Brighton team. Um, but obviously, Andy, is this a good time to play them? <laughs> it's, a, it's funny saying that coming up for all the chat we've had so far about Brighton not taking their chances. Um, but, you know... You're not going to, you don't often come up against the Leicester team that don't have James Madison, that don't have Harvey Barnes, maybe no Johnny Evans there either. Yeah. Well, I've got a positive and a negative for you on that front. You, you can look at it and say, yeah, it is a good time to play them. Like you say, their injuries. I think something with Brighton that's been overlooked is their injuries. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you, funny enough, you referred to Andoni. You think about these queer though, but I'm not talking so much about those, even though they're two attacking players who you wonder what difference they might have made. Neither of those players essentially have been available to Graham Potter and only briefly Jose was injured before Graham Potter was appointed. So I'm talking about three defenders all at one time. Now, now Tarek Lamptey was injured in December and they've actually coped better than I thought they would without Tarek Lamptey, mainly because Joel Veltman has been outstanding. He's, he's done really well. Yeah. But the downside of the winner Anfield was Solly March, gone for the season. The game after that, three days later, the 1-1 draw at Burnley, Adam Webster. You've now got three key players in the same area of the pitch. You know, if Brighton play a back five, which has been Graham Potter's mainly go-to system, You'd put those three players in that back five without a shadow of a doubt. And what I think is also quite interesting with losing all three of them, if you like, together, it's not just defensively, because as we, we know about Terek Lamptey's electric bursts forward and how that unsettles defences, Adam Webster is the main central defender ball carrier now. Uh, you know, he's the one who like, like, likes to come out. Solly has got that the attacking instinct in him, in him because he's a winger converted to, to a wing-back. So I don't think it's necessarily just defensively that it's slightly unhinged him, but also overall, in the overall picture, in an attacking sense as well. 
So um, it's very easy, you know, we, we hear about all these other sides and their injuries, but in the context of a team at their level, Brighton, and, and the squad they've got, their level of spending power, you know, that has actually been overlooked, I think. And those, it's no coincidence to me that from the moment they've had all three of those players missing, they haven't won a game in that period. What do you think, Gary, going into this game? Do you think it's an OK time for Brighton to play them? Do you think you can get a result against Leicester? Yeah, I think touching on what Andy said about um, Solly being missing, I think I think he gives him that balance out there of being obviously a left-sided player. And he probably is more offensive than if you were to play Dan Byrne out there or if you were to play one of the other lads that have been playing out there. Um, obviously... The three players that play all the time, um, but they're quite attacking players. The other two wing backs, um, and obviously Webster does like to step out of the ball uh, and probably try build attacks a little bit more. So it's an area that they probably have suffered. I know is it Bernardo that went out on loan as well. He probably could have played a little bit more in that role. So um, it has affected him. Uh, I think Solly's had another good season out there. He's getting better. Uh, it's probably one of the most difficult positions on the pitch. Uh, you're up and down. You're a left back one minute. You're looking to be even look out as a left-sided high forward player the next minute. You've got to get in at the back post as well. So it's an area that they'll probably look to try strengthen. Probably I think in the summer more so on that left side, just to give them a little bit more flexibility and have another body in there. But um, obviously Lampety on the other side is energy. Uh, he was having a great season as well so hopefully they can get them back um, especially him back in the side I think well I think Veltman I think he was the best player on the pitch against Palace uh, when I watched it getting forward creating obviously scored a great goal so Leicester have got injuries as well but I think it'll be a really good game it'll be a real good tactical game uh, it'll be two managers that will be looking to keep possession uh, they'll probably be about 10v10 in the middle of the pitch because everyone will be trying to dominate possession with overloads. Uh, I think Brendan Rodgers has done a great job there as well. And um, He was up here with Celtic. He was really successful up here and he's gone back down there. And You can see similar traits with, with Graham Potter as well with the style of play. Um, and people think that's easy to implement uh, when you're going in at a club and you've got a lot of players, young players especially in there, um, to get them to play that style of football, the understanding of what he wants, um, it's not easy to do. Um, so I'll take my hat off the boat with him because playing that style, because everyone says, oh, why don't we play this, play that? It's all well saying it. Um, I had it with Gus when you actually have a manager that actually, not well, it is teaching you. It's teaching you a different way to game and understanding the game better. And you can see that with how Brighton play see a lot of similarities in it and um, I think it will come good um, as I said getting all them young players that are getting Premier League experience this year and hopefully uh, it'll look in the it'll be good in the long term for it but the game against Leicester I think they've got a decent squad I know they're missing some players but they've got a lot of players that can come in and experienced Premier League players that can come off the, the bench and step in and play so I think it's going to be a very tough game to be honest um, Andy, this this might be this sort of might be outdating this podcast very quickly, judging by when this comes out in the morning, and then there's probably a press conference in the afternoon as well with Graham Potter. But do we think we're close to seeing Lamptey and Webster back? 
Um, Lamptey was mentioned uh, by Graham ahead of West Brom that he's back in training. But he did say at that point, he, he said it was no chance of him starting and a chance of being on the bench. So clearly he didn't quite get there. Mm. Um, on that basis, um, you'd like to think if there's been no further setbacks with the hamstring and other weeks training, that he might be that much, much closer. Adam Webster, you can forget, he, he, won't, he won't be back this side of the international break. So um, they're going to be without him for the next three, three, four games, which are some key games in, well, they're all, all key, aren't they? But, um, you know, the Southampton one and the Newcastle at home particularly stands out at this stage before the international break. So, so they're, they're going to have to make, make do without him. But it's just one other thing about the fixtures, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because, um, funny enough, my son pointed out to me, I think it's nine of Brighton's last 12 fixtures, as things stand, are against teams in the top 10, which, as a lot of people pointed out to me on social media, that might actually be a good thing. Because if you look at Brighton's record against, against the teams around them this season, it's been awful, frankly. And they've actually had better results a lot of the times against the teams higher up. And I, th- I think there's a reason for that, you know, because because it is against the teams that just sit in and say, right, break us down. That's where they tend to struggle. The better sides are not going to do that. The better sides, with all due respect to Brighton, are not going to be afraid of Brighton. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there might be something in that, that those fixtures, although on paper, they look tough might actually work in Brighton's favour. Well, I hope Lamptey's up and running properly by the time he gets in the Newcastle game because that is the one where he really shone uh, at the beginning of the season. I mean, you, you just, um, just sort of finishing off on this, when Lamptey does come back, um, just because you know Webster's out of the team at the moment, do you sort of see maybe Lamptey coming back into at the right and then maybe... Veltman actually keeping his place in the team, maybe at the expense of someone like Dan Byrne, or maybe Byrne shifts out to the left again. It's a, it'd be really cruel to drop him at the moment, wouldn't it? They, they yeah, offer completely different things, but it feels like it'd be a bit cruel on Veltman. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll be an interesting one when, when we reach that point. I don't know if you remember, there was one game, I think, last season where Tarek played, played like the sort of right midfield, the one further forward. Pretty sure from memory it was Manchester United, yeah. and he, he took him off at half time. Actually, only you know, only only played for the forty-five minutes. But um, you kind of think he's got naturally the attributes that he might be able to play that one further forward. The the other thing that, that that's a bit unsettling when you look at that defensive unit, Adam Webster. I mean, he he was settled on that left side of the central defence, the left-sided central defender. And I know a lot of people were saying, well, why has he gone there? That is actually the position he prefers. Although he didn't play there a lot last season, he was essentially the right-sided one. Um, he actually prefers the left. Joel Veltman is, is really either a right-back or right-sided central defender. So um, I think you've got to bear that in mind. It would probably be more a choice between him and Ben White on that side, side of the three. So... Um, yeah, it'll certainly be an interesting one how that dynamic works once we're in a situation where Tariq is fit to start. Okay, just finally, just finally then, just to both of you, um, as we sit here then in the current situation that Brighton are in, 
Gary, you confident Brighton are going to be okay? As I said, from what I've seen this year and how they have been playing, um, I've always said that they'll stay up. Maybe, obviously, you're a little bit biased um, and stuff like that, but I think they've got enough about them. The way they've been playing, um, I think it's just, it is a matter of time until maybe probably winning ugly a few times and picking up a few wins that you probably shouldn't have got. A bit like West Brom, I know they won the game and they're scoring from a set piece, so maybe you might just want to get, and it is a big difference, getting the first goal in the game is massive. Uh, can you get your noses in front and give yourself something to hold on to? You see they're chasing the game against Palace, obviously chasing the game against West Brom, and it is difficult. Teams are going to just pile the box and you'll have 10 men behind the ball and it doesn't matter what strikers you've got. You've got a massive bank of four and two sets of four in front of you and you're thinking where you're going to get. So I think for me, I'll be I'll be confident Brighton must stay up, but they need probably to get that first goal and then it'll probably settle the nerves and teams will come out, as Andy said, instead of sitting in against you and probably saying come and break us down and you are leaving yourself a little bit vulnerable like the first goal at Palace where it's not really it's not really great play it's a little ball down the side and you end up 1-0 down and then the second goal um, it's a wonder goal um, I don't think he's scoring from there <laughs> many times out of 100 let alone 10 so um, yeah I think getting the noses in front but for me um, I fancy Brighton style definitely Andy yeah, uh, interesting. I mean, Gary makes a good point there about getting their noses in front. I think that's really relevant. You go back to them. Brighton are not going to very often in the Premier League have comfortable games, are they, and comfortable wins. But you go back to the Newcastle one early in the season. If you remember, they went not only one new up, they scored two early goals there. And so they had that bit of breathing space and they really were comfortable on that occasion and ended up winning the game 3-0. And as Gary said, I mean, if you look back at that good run, they got their noses in front. Liverpool lead Spurs and won one nil. None of those teams were able to score against them once they had their noses in front. So I, th- I, th- I think that is important. The type of team Brighton are, that first goal um, is important. I've been quietly confident all along that they'd be okay. There's obviously lots of peaks and troughs as ever with Brighton. But... I still think they'll be okay that come the end of the season. I, I, my mind goes back to last season. If you remember, lockdown with, what was it, nine games to go. And I think they were only two points above the relegation zone. And their fixtures, when you looked at them, looked horrendous because they really yeah. did have Arsenal, Man City, Man United, Liverpool. And it really did look a gloomy picture. And you look back and you think, well, they ended up 15th in 41 points and, and kind of did it re- relatively comfortably. So I'm reasonably confident. It'll be interesting to see if Graham changes a bit because he did at the end of last season. They did go a little bit more. The Norwich game particularly st- stands out for me towards the end. The West, Ham, West Ham. Game. They needed the result. Yeah. Before they did kind of, yeah. yeah, they did kind of change a little bit. So I don't think Graham will be averse to doing that if he feels, you know, um, that's that's the way of getting a result. But, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to be out of it with four or five games to left. Left. I think it might be a a bit of a rocky ride, and um, we'll still be biting our nails. But I, I think they're going to be all right. Okay, that's an optimistic 
uh, and positive place to leave this podcast, I think, for today. Gary, Andy, thanks so much for your time today. Gary, best of luck as well for the rest of the season. For the next few weeks, uh, we'll kill Marnik. I'll be back next week with our interview with Liam Bridcut. So do please subscribe to the podcast if you can. Thanks for listening. Follow Football the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.